0: In the years 1981 through 1997, a generation was born into the United States that would slightly alter the ideology of the country for the foreseeable future. Fast forward 18 years and all across the United States you have an entire generation of eager youth setting out to make their imprint on the world. No one could have foreseen how much the world around this generation would vastly change. This was the last generation that could survive without a cell phone. This generation witnessed the birth of the World Wide Web and its advancement from the loud, annoying, screeching sounds of dial-up to the fiber optics of today. No one, from the generation themselves to their parental figures, knew how to manage this changing environment or the upcoming obstacle known as the Great Recession that was knocking at the doorstep of this generation's entrance into adulthood. In this episode, my co-host Jerry Garrett and I will examine the issues and stereotypes this generation has faced and why millennials are the most misunderstood generation in the history in this country. By the end of this, we hope the typical stereotypes of lazy and self-entitled are replaced with the understanding and recognition that we should all be pulling for the generation and their success. Welcome to the Ginger and Juice Podcast with hosts Sean Whittaker and Jared Garrett. I think the first thing that we need to do when starting this podcast is identify what a millennial is. And Jared, I think you have a definition over there. Uh, Go
1: on and read that definition so we get an idea. So the biggest question is, what is a millennial? And this is what a millennial is defined as. Roughly speaking, anyone born from 1980 to the year 2000 the heavy majority falling with the birthdays between 1987 and 1995. There are two wings of millennial that are often at odds with each other. The Generation Y, people born between 1981 through 91, and Generation Z, born between 91 and 2001. And I think
0: that's very interesting because we often cast this vast generalization when it comes to millennials as if, they're all the same. And I think something important to remember is that there is no one-size-fits-all in millennial. And that it specifically goes towards, you know, you you do have two definitive groups in there. You know, I'm part of that beginning group. Mm -hmm. I was born in 1987. Uh, I have a very uh, different recollection of kind of life growing up than someone would that was born in 1991 or 92 or something like that. So it's just... It's a little bit different.
1: Or even someone who's born, let's say, in 97. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, they're they're 10 years younger than you are. However, it's it's almost kind of crazy how different the experiences that you guys have had since being on this earth. Uh, When it comes to technology, when it comes to TV, when it comes to anything, uh, that 10 years, I would venture to say maybe the most different period between people born than maybe ever in this country's history because of the advances of technology. There's different things, you know. uh, just different ways to communicate as well. So it's pretty interesting when you realize how different we truly are, mm-hmm. even though we're all born within you know, the same. Oh
0: yeah. I mean, I'm thirty years old, and I remember a time where first I would say 15 16 years of my life, we may do without cell phones. <laughs> That's crazy. You know, in, that. in order to, you know, I remember calling people the night before because you know in high school. i played baseball, played all that. You had to call people the night before right. and figure out a ride situation yeah. to get to practice or get to the game or get to yeah. stuff like that. Whereas if you were born in nineteen ninety seven, man, you just get on your phone and you <laughs> you, right you text. You yeah. know, back in the day when I, we did get the ability right. to text, you know, a text was ten cents. Yeah. You know, there was to no send and receipt. Yeah. You know, it was a
1: twenty cent, you know. There, that's crazy. And the way yeah. you
0: put it in, is the little T right. nine. I mean it was right. it was a different
1: a different breed of uh, and, you know, this is going to sound weird, but it almost sounds uh, archaic when you mention uh, not having text, not being able to call. I mean, now, I mean, I communicate most of my life is spent using my cell phone, whether it's to text message somebody, or it's to be on social media, looking for directions, restaurants, uh, Google. I mean, literally, that phone has become probably my most valuable asset in my life. And I can remember when I first got a cell phone at the age of 14, I think I used it like four or five times. Mm Because it it didn't, you know... That little flip razor. You know, and having to... And now it's just, it's a part of my daily life that I can't, sadly at times, I can't really live without. Even though yesterday I did spend a lot of time off of it. um, And I think it's important that millennials, you know, try and incorporate
0: that aspect into their life. You know, be able to put your... Too many times I go out to eat with my wife, and I'm a victim of this myself, and, saying. you know, my whole time is in, involved in that phone. Right. You know, there, right. there there is something to, you know, this podcast is not sitting here just saying, woe is millennials. There are right. plenty of issues that face millennials that millennials have brought on themselves right. that, um, you know, or some criticism of millennials that, you know, does hold weight. Right. But what we're going to get into a lot is this idea, this, Laziness and this, you know, all we're so self entitled. Well, you know, the reason why that manifests itself is due to multiple different things that come to a head when you look at, you know, this country financially, when you look at right. education and what's happened with advanced education. If you look at um, just different aspects that play into this, where you might then look at that criticism of being right. lazy or self entitled and learn to look at it in a very different way. You right. know? I had a, I had mass today. What he was talking about, because it applies to this a lot, it's all about perspective. It's all right. about it. That's true. And, and That's true. getting education behind and being able to realize the facts and how things have changed gives you a different perspective that when you then analyze those generalizations and when you analyze all that stuff, you come to see you know, maybe they have a little bit of a right to be a little pissed off. Exactly. Ma- ma- maybe their frustration
1: is warranted And in some cases. I think there are a lot of factors that go into the millennial frustration. Um, I'm going to read off to you a couple facts real quick uh, from the Pew Research Group about kind of what millennials are and kind of how we're different than pretty much any other generation before us. And again, this is according to Pew Research. Millennials are the most ethnically diverse generation in the history of this country. First since, since since the Silent Generation to be less economically successful than their parents. Fifty percent of Millennials consider themselves politically unaffiliated, and twenty nine percent consider themselves religiously unaffiliated. And so those factors I just gave you, if anything, show you how differently uh, Millennials are compared to our parents. You know what I'm talking about? Like uh, growing up in this part of the country in Kentucky, you know everyone's pretty much you know religious. Uh, has a firm political affiliation, but there's many people our age that just simply don't. And to think that, you know, I mean, that this would be, you know, this place and time is, is where we're at. It's kind of interesting, and I really think it's kind of remarkable uh, to be. You know? This is a quote that uh, was in a book written
0: by, who am I going I've lost the author, but I find this quote really interesting. It says, uh, millennials are the first in modern era to have higher levels of student loan debt, poverty, and employment, and lower levels of wealth and personal income than any other generation at that same stage of life. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing that you're getting into now, but um, there are many different things that play a part in that. So uh, before we go any further, I think I'll throw a question to you just to get you know, your
1: perspective as a millennial. Wh- what does it mean to you to be a millennial? Basically, to me, it means uh, living in a time where everything that was supposed to happen didn't happen. Also, it means living in a time that was totally different than any other time that's ever been recorded on this earth. And I know every generation says, you know, my time was different before my parents' times. But truly, our generation is completely different. Like, all the things that our parents did that... You know, whether it be school, whether it be you know, buying a house, whether it be working, whatever they did, it's kind of flipped. Like, we live in a time now where we both have college degrees, and our college degrees aren't as valuable as our parents' college degrees. Our parents went out and bought houses by the time they were 30 years old. Hell, I struggled to you know, pay rent. Uh, having to work two jobs, having to, you know, people tell you to save money. However, saving money is really hard when everything's so freaking expensive. If you When you add up your monthly cost, it's over $1,000. How can you truly save a lot of money unless you just want to be a hermit, and you know, and not enjoy not anything. enjoy anything, you know? Uh, so it's it's kind of hard. And I, so I think being a millennial to me means, um, in a couple words, just kind of unknown territory, man. To be honest with you, no one really knows what to do now. You know, I mean, that's what I agree with, and that's what I think
0: millennials. And I mean, this may get me into a little bit of trouble saying this, but I think in a lot of ways we were victim of poor parenting. Mm-hmm. But I think. It's not necessarily because purpose, I people right. didn't know how to parent. Right. It's people didn't know how to navigate and parent through a period of time that we have seen more technological, economical advancement right. than, I mean, probably the only thing compared to is the Industrial Revolution.
1: Right. and I, I'll venture to say, I mean, when, the, when computers and all that stuff first start becoming household items that you could have, our parents didn't know what computers really were, and so I mean it's, it's kind of hard to follow them because no one knew. But now we live in a time where computer literacy is an absolute. Like if you can't work a computer, you really can't work any job because you got you have to need some type of you know ability to go onto a system and, and learn it. You know exactly, and
0: it's just you know we're just now finding out that being on your phone a lot, being on Facebook. There have been recent studies that have shown that what what it does is um, it releases dopamine mm-hmm. in your brain, which is like the same thing that like doing a drug or drinking and alcohol. It, it makes you feel good. And uh, th- they're starting to see in 2017, mind you, that there are certain things that need to be done. It needs to be you know limited a little right. bit. You got to kind of be right. careful of what you're doing now. So many times I see uh, parents now that you, in order to babysit. They give their kids give their kids or phone or a tablet or something right. like that. But we're just now realizing that, you know, maybe that's not the best thing to necessarily right. do. Right. And that, But again, you know, this is something that took place in the mid-late 90s that we're just now getting the technology in 2017 saying, we messed this up. Right. So it's kind of like too little too late for people like me and you now. Right. But with this information now that we have we have to kind of we have to evolve and right. and to me that's what it means to be a millennial from my perspective it's to me we are the generation that embodies a whole lot not necessarily any more than any other generation but essentially adapt or die right you know we, we, we have, have to. to we had to adapt or die we ha- we had to learn how to use a computer how to do how, just how to manage the growth of technology throughout a period
1: of time that you had to do it. And I'll tell you, you know, interesting thing. I remember being in school, and I don't think we really used computers until like the seventh grade. Now kids are on computers like in kindergarten. So I think it's one of those interesting things that is it's kind of fascinating if you really look at it, how far we really come. And I'm always a person who always preaches this today, Sunday, July 16th, is the best day to be alive than there ever was in a period of the earth. Whether you agree with that or disagree with that, I say that because it just It's just, I mean, this is better, in my opinion. However, I think because technology has evolved so much, it has forced people to get to a point where you kind of got to be superficial in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Because of Facebook, because of social media, you don't really ever feel like you really get to know very many people on an in-depth level because you can pop up, you can pull up their Facebook profile or their Instagram page, see this person, you kind of make this broad generalization about them, and it causes a lot of issues too, because we don't get to know people personally anymore without. You and know, that, a that, is, you know? that is what I say is a downfall of the generation. Mm-hmm. is the me and you are
0: kind of creatures of rareness, right. in the fact that you know we'll engage, you know, sending texts, sending stuff like that, but we can also sit down and have a conversation right. with just about anybody that we want to have a conversation with. Right. You know I'm that type dude that when I'm in the subway line, uh, I'm talking to the people around me. Right. I, I can't tell you how many times I've done that to people that look to be about my age who look at me like, why are you talking to me? Right. I don't want to talk to you. Right. If I right. wanted to talk to you, I'd talk to you. Just right. get your stuff, eat your food, right. whatever. But I think a lot of that has to do with you know my dad. Right. And my dad is learning. Uh, my dad was born in 1957. My dad is learning now as a car salesman. Starting to find out that the more he embraces Facebook, the more he embraces social media, the more he uses it as an outreach, the better it's having an effect on his job. Because right. you can reach more people quicker and you can become much more visible than, you know, putting an ad in the Cynthia Democrat that says, you know, shop, shopping for a car, shop Bob. Right.
1: It just reaches and more people. Right. It does. just does. And also I think as a millennial too, we've gotten to a point where because we can get online and we can see so many more people, we are less trustworthy of those people who were, we were told we're supposed to be trustworthy of. It's very hard for you to come into it and tell a millennial this is what you need to believe because so and so said so because now I have a backdoor channel to go look up that information, look up that person or just verify the facts and the biggest thing sadly that this country is dealing with is that facts are facts and I think in the millennial generation I think we view those facts a little bit more hardcore than we do people's Uh, you know, tongue-in-cheek statements that they say. Well, it's
0: really interesting. I saw just recently they did a poll on, uh, I think it was on Fox News, I saw it. Um, And it said, like, essentially that a college education is part of what's contributing to the things that are bad for this country. And there's this conception that, Colleges are extremely liberal. They're brainwashing people to be liberals and stuff like that. And the question that I always ask that, you know, millennials who did go to college and stuff, is that is it liberal or do you, if you go to a college somewhere, do you just get exposed well, see, to much broad, a much broader bubble right. than what you're used to in Richmond, Kentucky, or in Cynthia, Kentucky, right. and realize that, hey... There are different types of people out here, and Truly. you deal with them in different ways.
1: Truly. Uh, you know, the biggest thing, I think, with the advent of technology, and also with just going to college, I realized how different people were, and also those differences weren't bad. Um, the biggest thing I love about the world uh, that we're, we're living in right now is that it's becoming more and more okay, even though we have a long way to go, but it's becoming more and more okay for people to be themselves. Whether that be a person that I morally agree with or don't morally agree with, as long as it's not hurting anybody or themselves, it's okay to be that way. And I think college exposes you to those type of people who come from all different walks, all different lives, all different experiences. And it's kind of weird that you get put into a place with these type of people for four to five years and you get Mm -hmm. out and you're like, wow. So what it does to you, though, is if somebody growing up told me something, stereotypical or something, you know, about an individual or about a group of people, when I went to college and I realized that wasn't the truth or that information was flawed or biased, I make those own judgments to myself and I say, well, that person told me it's not the truth. And so I start making my own experiences and my own decisions about what I want to believe in people. And a lot of times those experiences and those beliefs are going to be different than the people that came before me. And, and, And that's the advantage that millennials have now
0: is that you know, oftentimes we're indoctrinated by our parents with certain values, right. certain political beliefs, certain religious beliefs, if you have them, or the lack thereof. And with the advancement of technology the way we are now, if my mom and dad wanted to go against what their mom and dad's taught them about politics or about something like that, they'd have to go to a library, and they'd have to look up, and like like how they had to go about doing that is very, very different than how it is today. Right. I can pop up, you know, the American Medical Association on my phone and or, or whatever I right. want and get facts like this. Right. And, and what that does is it changes things because and I think that's why you're saying like in your statistics, you're seeing so many more millennials that have just different Beliefs. Beliefs. They they don't value the same things. That, like, it was interesting. Something that used to be uh, a marker of adulthood for my parents' generation and prior generations was getting married. Right. That's gone now in millennials, and it's because you know we'll get into this a little bit more later when you get into the you know how education debt has you know contributed to this and how the lack of wage change. You know why am I gonna why am I gonna think that I got to be married to be an adult? That's right. just more money. When the average um, marriage ceremony in this country costs thirty five thousand dollars, right? Like,
1: why does that mark adulthood? And I think because of that, it's created more of an environment where most millennials are kind of on their own when it comes to a lot of things. Um, the biggest thing I always tell everybody: I wish what I would have done as soon as I graduated from undergrad, I wish I would have moved back in with my parents. And at the time, going back to that time and thinking that I would have ever wanted to move back in my parents, is crazy. But I could have moved back in with them, saved money, done, you know, had something to at least I could hold on to instead of trying to work, 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 work. So I do think it's very valuable that, uh, that, that a lot of millennials kind of are in kind of a, a weird position when it comes to finances because a lot of us, we just haven't had that much money to spend. And the money we do spend a lot of times is for necessities as far as living, transportation, or food, you know, so.
0: And and just to go along with that, um, here's some uh, research uh, that is from Pew Research Foundation as well as uh, USA Today, and um, it says with the national college debt now at $1.3 trillion and college tuition seeing a 1,140% increase since the late 70s, Coupled with the longest stretch of income stagnation in the modern era, this is why the highest percentage of 20-somethings ever recorded, around 45%, are living back with their parents.
1: There's no money. You know, I tell people, when I first graduated college, I got a job making $9 an hour. My rent was like $4.25 plus utilities. I mean, I was blessed. My parents helped out when they could or when I needed it. But at the same time, making $9 an hour, trying to pay for all that by yourself, is crazy. Like, So most millennials are stuck in a situation where we're working jobs that should probably pay us more. But unless you have advanced degrees or unless you have specialized degrees, that money just isn't there. Because employers can go get someone maybe even older than you to do your job. And at times, probably do it better because that person has more experience. So we're in this situation where the market just isn't for us, and probably for the first time ever, we live in a time where the the job market is is as at times as frustrating as anything. There's a lot of people who are have college degrees in uh, many liberal arts degrees, whether it be art, or be some type of uh, something like that, who just can't find jobs because there's no there's nobody's hiring. So these people are working, you know, at you know Panera Bread, which is not wrong work. They were going to Panera Bread because it's the only job they can find, you know. They have to mm-hmm. go get a master's degree in art to go teach, and then put themselves even further in debt, you know, so it's kind of crazy.
0: And what I'm not a fan of is when people look at those people who got those degrees and then essentially blame the victim. Right. You're, like, the you're the one who media. got the stupid degree and a stupid major. Right. Listen, some people go into stuff, which is what I did. I knew very well going into what the degree that I got I was not going to make a whole lot of money, but it was what I wanted to do. Right. It's what I love. you know if, if your love is art or, or acting or, or whatever, I don't think anyone is in any position to look at those people and say, you know what you got that dumbass degree' So it's your fault. So it's your fault right And, uh, I, and that's what I was going to go get into here with the education. Here's a little timeline through the U- United States evolution of higher education. Um, In 1973, in today's dollars, tuition for one year at a private college was at at an average of $9,876. At an in-state public school, it was $2,175. In 1975, college costs began to increase at a rate much faster than inflation. In 2003, for example, the average cost went up 4% in half of a year. In 1987, in today's dollars, tuition in a private school ran about $13,000 and a public school $2,700. So that's in 1987, the year I was born. In 2008, tuition and fees increased 439% since 1982, while income increased 107%.
1: And see, to me, that's the biggest issue we've talked about this numerous times. The message to us when we were going through high school, elementary school, middle school was, you go to college, and once you go to college, you'll get out and you'll get a good job. If you don't go to college, you won't get a good job. What we're finding out is, however, if you go to college, most people are going to debt. So you have this massive debt. How much did you say the debt was in 2008? I mean, how much uh, tuition was? Well, today, today I will say to today,
0: the, uh, the average... Um, the average student who attends a private college will be in debt about one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. For a public school, okay. your debt is around thirty-five to forty thousand dollars. So for an average
1: public school attendant, they're gonna be thirty-five thousand dollars in the hole when they get done with a degree. And I mean, it's just almost impossible unless you have a financial you have financial support. Which, if you have financial support, you probably won't be taking a lot of loans to get through school. You know what mm-hmm. I'm talking about? So you're taking this massive debt, but you're not getting any reward for it. It's like you did all this work. You and, then the, you the, know.
0: and then the job force is watered down because yeah. uh, w- millennials now make up the highest percentage of the population in the country. Right. So now you have the most people ever recorded with bachelor's degrees. Well, it's, it, it's simple kind of supply-demand type right. of thing. It's devalued the bachelors right. like so what you got a bachelor's you're not separating yourself from anybody anymore right. which means you which means more you go money. into more debt right. I mean if we look at we can look at just the state of Kentucky okay Eastern Kentucky University is a university that the majority of people who attend come from Eastern Kentucky they're, right. they're, it's it's a school for people who don't not come money, from money right. that's the best way to say it but at EKU right now, for an in-state student, it, the average, it takes five years to complete a degree, that's according to multiple sources, uh, uh, USA Today, uh, you will go in debt about $43,000 at Eastern Kentucky, Kentucky University. University. For an out-of-state student, you'll go in debt $90,000. Right. So now let's go look at UK, the right. University of Kentucky. A little bit of a step up. The average in-state student will go in debt $60,000. The average out-of-state $130,000. Now let's take one more step up. Let's look at Transylvania, a private school. In Lexington, Kentucky. In Lexington, Kentucky. The average student that goes to Transylvania University will go in debt somewhere between $165,000
1: to $200,000. And that's crazy, because the thing about it is... Come For a bachelor's, a bachelor's degree. degree, and no matter what school you go to—U.P., E.K.U., U.K., or Transy—each of those schools with a bachelor's degree, you're not going to make anywhere close to the amount of debt that you're going to inquire. So you're going debt sixty thousand dollars in U.K. What job are you going to get with a bachelor's degree that's going to give you the ability to even make sixty thousand dollars a year? So you're kind of always behind the line job. You're paying student loans, you're paying gas, you're paying rent, you're paying food—all this. But you're still behind. You're still you know, having to behind. And then you mm-hmm. say you go get married or try have kids. It's it's, it's crazy. And you know most and
0: most people don't. Well, uh, a big thing if you look at this, there used to be tons of entry level jobs mm-hmm. in these fields that paid decent. What happened with the um, millennial generation? They took those away and they replaced those with non paid internships. Mm-hmm. Working for who we work for, we see that. Mm-hmm. We, there's a certain time of the year, we get non-paid interns in there like crazy. Right. Well, if you don't have that, what you have is a lot of people coming out of college, uh, according to statistics, uh, about 38% that have a degree can't get a job in their field immediately. So then what do they do? They turn to essentially minimum wage type jobs. Okay. Which brings me to my point of if you go to looking and analyzing t- today... For a two-bedroom house or for a two-bedroom uh, apartment, the average in Kentucky, the average minimum wage that you would need to pay for that working full time would be fourteen dollars and ten cents. What's minimum wage here in Kentucky?
1: I want to say it's eight twenty-five. Don't quote me on that. It's either between seven twenty-five or eight twenty-five. It's one of those figures. But it's so it's, it's nowhere 14. near
0: fourteen. So here's another statistic here in the state of Kentucky. If you want, this is the minimum hours needed at minimum wage to afford a one bedroom unit in the state of Kentucky. 61 hours a week. So, in other words, you got to not have a life. Right. You can't have a life. If you're working a minimum wage job, which 38% of millennials who get out of school after having a bachelor's have to do for a certain amount of time, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. If you look at some of these states, in in the state of New York, you have to work 101 hours. If you look at Illinois, 81. California, 89 hours. Uh, One one of the highest ones in the nation. In California, in order the minimum wage, what it needs to be in order to form a two-bedroom apartment, is $28.59. In New York, it's $26.69. In Virginia, it's $22. Forty-four. Yeah. That's like, I have a friend who lives in Bethesda, Maryland, man. He is, he makes good money. He makes really good money. And he can't afford to move from, to
1: upgrade his apartment. Right. Much less even afford a house. And he just right. had a kid. Right. So. I, if, mean, I tell people all the time, I mean, I, I, I work two jobs. And people are always like, man, you know, all you do is work all the time. I'm like, look, man, if, if I don't, I, I mean, if you don't want to put yourself in a position to where you can't have a life. I think that's where a lot of millennials have gotten into the thing of some of us are maybe workaholics a little bit because we're always trying to chase the the next thing. You know what I'm talking about? You're always trying to make sure you're good. You're always trying to make sure you're this. And the way our society has taught us is, like, we're not going to pay you the money you may deserve. So you're going to do all this working, Mm -hmm. side jobs, Ubering, all this different stuff to make ends meet. And we're like, okay. You know what I'm talking about? And see, that's that's what you're
0: getting into right there is what a lot of people don't realize. And this is something I was discussing with a friend of mine who he's going to be running for uh, state rep soon. But I completely agree with him. And what we're into now is what's called corporate socialism. Mm -hmm. That's what you just said. You're not getting paid what you want. So what these corporations are doing, because they like it, and they like how it benefits them, is what happens is they know that they can get away with paying a wage that will not meet needs. Because mm-hmm. then we have more people ever in this country now that are employed that are also receiving government assistance. Right. Right. So right. what it's done, it shifted the burden of providing that from the company right. to the taxpayer the taxpayers. now. Right. So what is happening now is what we're doing is with the money that is saved by that corporation goes to the shareholders then. So they make more money. Right. The system isn't, and this is what I loved about what he said, the system isn't broken. It's functioning exactly how they want it. They're shifting the burden to the taxpayer. Meanwhile, these companies and the shareholders are getting rich because we are subsidizing these rich folks via our taxes. Right. And people are pissed off about people who get $100 worth of food stamps. Right. You're yeah, mad so at that, the wrong people. You're
1: mad at the wrong person, man. You're mad at them because... These people need this assistance, be mad at the people who are creating these jobs, you know what I'm talking about? Because they're not paying people fair wages. And like I said, I mean, I'm not here to complain about um, employment or whatever, but I do think if you look at it and you say, are the majority of people who are out busting their ass day in, day out, are they getting what they truly deserve? Their answer is no. But when you see, you know, the, and the wage gap keeps growing in this country at an exponential rate, it makes you question... Who's really looking out for the middleman? Or is it really a system where the big man is telling the little man how to feel and the little man is then yeah. going around and blaming everybody else for his transgressions? That's sure. like Bill, uh, Bill Gates. Bill Gates is getting ready to become the world's first trillionaire. Mm-hmm. Or he maybe already
0: is. I'm mm-hmm. not for sure which one. And, you know, good for Bill Gates. I'm not saying he should be penalized for being a trillionaire or anything like that. But right now, the kids of his kids' kids are golden. Like at what point, and this is the question I ask: At what point is like five, enough money is five villas money. enough? Right. Is you know four uh, four yachts enough? And that's my ultimate question: Is that we we've we've gotten to where? Well, let me go back. The perception of these people are that I often get from my parents and just people that are from an older generation are you know these people worked hard for their money that that you know they earned it stuff.
1: Most of these people were born into their world. Right, born into it, and also a lot of them lucked into it. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. And this is my whole issue with, and I know we're kind of, but this is my whole issue with capitalism. Capitalism only really benefits those who have money to begin with. And it doesn't really benefit the person starting at the bottom. It's crazy that we pay just as much taxes as a millionaire, Mm -hmm. like by percent. We pay about the same amount of money that a millionaire pays. So tell me how me and this millionaire I'm am struggling to do you know the basics and this millionaire he's paying the same amount of taxes I'm paying and I, that's the issue again is that capitalism we now that we see the millennials see capitalism doesn't really benefit us the way that people would like for us to make it done, if you know? capitalism if capitalism functioned how it's supposed, supposed to, to
0: in theory it exactly. would work right but it doesn't function the way it. is
1: supposed to function in theory. And I think it's been hijacked by those millionaires or those power players. And that's my biggest issue. I'm not trying to say we should be a socialist or anything like that. I'm just saying the people who have the power, the people who have the wealth, they're not distributing the way they need to. And they're creating a whole bunch of agendas and a lot of misinformation to people saying, well, the reason you don't have this is because of the illegals coming out of Mexico Mm -hmm. or is because the jobs are going up. It's not. It's because they're greedy. And mm-hmm. they need to be called on their greenness. And millennials are the first generation that are willing to call people out for their for their fuck ups. I'll just go ahead and say it: we're the first generation to tell people, "No, you messed up," and we're not going to let you give up. We're not going to give you a pass just because you're a preacher or you're a politician or you're a coach mm-hmm. or you're a teacher or you're a city council. So, we're going to so, call you out. Yeah. You know? So many times, what we do, we equate wealth to success, success
0: or or you know, you know, look at what I heard so much at. With Donald Trump when he won his presidency was like, oh, he's a businessman. That doesn't mean he's smart. Right. Uh, you know that that does. Uh, people equate Donald Trump's wealth to him being smart. Donald Trump's wealth is more to do with him being born into right. wealth than anything. Right. You give me, you, anybody who listens to this podcast, a loan of a million plus dollars, and tell us, you know, you're going to go into something as almost foolproof as hotels Real and safe. Real estate and uh, uh, casinos. you do all right. You're <laughs> gonna do. All, you're right. gonna come out all right. 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 So like, and, and that's the thing. It's like you said, we're much more willing to call people because one, we have the ability to and the technology to see it. Right. To it, right. To, to be able to search and see. List a big thing you can look at is like the war on drugs. Is everybody said that's so good? Well, we have the data now that is showing that dumping <laughs> it was a disaster. The, the money we are con- <laughs> <Yeah>. not was <laughs> still, still is. is a it is still yeah. an effective policy yeah. that is going on today that we are dumping millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars in, and we're getting no results. But it's interesting now because I just saw something that came across uh, the news. Oregon just was the first state. And I think you're going to see more follow Oregon's lead. It's going to be very liberal states, but you're going to see it. They essentially adopted what I call the Portugal policy, which is they have completely decriminalized all drugs, cocaine, heroin, everything. And they said, you know what? We are moving this all over now to public health. Because what we know, if we know anything now, locking an addict up doesn't help them. Right.
1: Well, this is it, the what day. that
0: does, though, it enables society where
1: we can then profit right. from them. That's my ultimate point, is that once it becomes a criminal justice thing, it's all about money. When we put it to public health, it becomes about taking care of people. It comes about insurance companies who have to pay have to the bill there. So, it's perfect. You know what I'm talking about? And I guess it shows you where millennials think. that Me and you think that's a great idea. But there's a lot of people who are older than us who think Oh, I, you know, I, like, I saw comments I, you know. on the story, bro, that
0: were like, "This is a result of these damn millennials. These yeah. damn millennials thinking that they just want to do what they want to do." And I'm like, "It, it has nothing to do with." Millennials. It's about
1: helping somebody. It's yeah, it, you know? it yeah. And my, my thing is, I tell people all the time, I would rather a drug addict go to rehab eight thousand times, and my in my tax dollars go to them being a clean drug user. I mean, a clean person, not using drugs anymore than them being in the community, committing crimes, uh, spreading diseases, and having all the results that come from drug addiction, than I would to put them in a situation where they can go get help. You know what I'm talking about? But again, it goes to a point where the people, the people who have power, the people who have money, they want to put those people in jail because jail results in money for them. And until people learn that, I think it's going to be harder. But again, I think that's the part of the reason why millennials, we just think differently because we see things differently. Because I think mean, we've been exposed to a little bit more truths. You know, I mean, think about all the things that we can go on. And so, if somebody tells you um, a man in California hit 83s in a row. Well, you can say, hmm, you can get on Google and pretty much verify if the story is true. I mean, 20 years ago, if somebody told you that story, you were pretty much taken verbatim because you really wouldn't have a way to fact check. So I think mean, millennials in general gotten to a point where we're able to kind of diagnose truths from misconceptions you know what I mean? mm-hmm. and I guess a big difference because a lot of people don't understand the difference between well, I'm telling you something that's true and maybe telling you something that I heard that came from this person that may really have been a misconception and it's not really what it you know, is. And, and it's th- speaking of perception I got a quote from uh Mark Cuban
0: that's really interesting I love this quote so we freak out about the trillions of dollars in debt our country faces but yet we're perfectly okay with the trillion dollars plus in debt college kids are facing. Yeah. What's the difference? Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: There's none. What's, the, I mean, di- I mean, what, what's I, the difference? The whole thing. When I hear people talk about our nation's debt,
1: I could care less, bro. I mean, it's our nation. Like I, I, I don't know. Let them balance the checkbook. I care about people who are living in this country and how they're feeding their families and how they're gonna make it. Trust me, this country will be okay when it comes to our debt. But, but again, that's kind of one of those things that people of an older generation seem to really care about the a trillion-dollar debt. I don't even know what a trillion-dollar debt would look like. I don't know how it's financed. And I'm almost positive that somebody somewhere owes us a lot of money as well. So, like, calm you know, down a little bit. You know, I, it's, it's crazy, man. Yeah, and it's and it's really interesting because,
0: like you were saying now, with the devalue of marriage and stuff, you know, the average age that people are getting married and then having kids in this nation is 31 years old. Uh, it's really interesting. but, And it's, cr- it's created... See, everything bleeds into another. You have, the, you, you have the education crisis, which then bleeds over into early adulthood for a millennial. Mm-hmm. So they don't have the money just to be starting families or anything like that. So now we're putting families off now. So the birth rate is going way down. What people don't realize is that's creating an issue in supplying, uh, essentially, job force workers. Right. So what's propping that up right now? I'll tell you what it is. Immigrants, both legal and illegal. They're making up for it right now. That's so why you get so many millennials that are often kind of against kind of mass deportation stuff like that. And it's because these facts are available to see that like they're propping us up right now. Like well, if you want to cre- if you want to create an economical catastrophe, <laughs> go on and deport every all these people. E- yeah. all these people. Go I'll on and do people it. The because
1: the birth rate from the millennial generation isn't there. Isn't, it isn't there. And I tell people all the time, I say, go to your favorite restaurant. I guarantee you, a lot of the, the kitchen staff are immigrants. So the next time you eat at your favorite restaurant, you need to think a lot of immigrants because they're the ones who are putting in the hard work to make sure your steak is uh, medium well. You know, and I'll give you a fact about what uh, Pew has about millennial uh, about immigrants. It says twenty percent of millennials have at least one immigrant parent, and that's that's pretty fascinating. It shows you that you know immigration is really kind of helping this country out as far as numbers, and that 20% have at least one immigrant parent, which is pretty impressive. you know. So it, it definitely is, and there's
0: just so many truths and so many intricacies that go into looking at the millennial generation. That we Obviously, we've got into some uh, this podcast. Uh, we're getting ready to wrap this one up. We're going to probably do a part two yeah. to kind of get into some other stuff a little bit deeper, but y- you've got to be willing to sift through the bullshit. Yep. That's what you got to be willing to do. You got to be willing to sit down and say, okay, here's here's this here's here's this factor of educational costs. Here's this factor of wage inflation not increasing. You've got immigrants playing a role in this. You've got technology mm-hmm. that goes into and, and and you put this all together. and if if you then step back after putting that all, all together, you can see, makes sense now
1: it makes sense it makes sense like i get it just a little bit it's a perfect imperfection in a lot of different ways it is talking about and i think it's the thing that millennials have to keep in mind is that even though time is times are trying they're tough remember that we are a resilient generation and that through our constant provoking of the powers to be change will occur we just have to be patient we have to be constant and we have to just keep on working because also, we have to also pay homage to our parents, and to our grandparents, to our great-great-grandparents. Because mm-hmm. without them, we wouldn't be here. But however, you know, we, we know uh, the, the pathologies that are, are facing us. We know what they are. But we got to keep working, keep going. And I think a part two on this millennial topic will be uh, great to get a little more in-depth about um, maybe some issues. But also talk about some of the good things. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like, being alive right now is fantastic. I can literally, with a couple buttons... Press and order a pizza from Pizza Hut, and it's at my house in twenty minutes. Like I just <laughs> did just that amazing. like two you days You know what I'm ago? talking about? Like I can get on Netflix and watch all the shows I want without mm-hmm. having to worry about until oh, like, next week. You, you want know? to talk about a monster
0: that I created? My dad a Netflix man, and, and <laughs> I downloaded the, band, the app man. on his phone. <laughs> and like I've got him into all these shows, bro— uh, Narcos and just yeah, different stuff yeah. like that. He's past where I am. Yeah. He, he told me the other day, he was like, I'm about to finish
1: season two of Narcos, and I'm like, I haven't even started yeah. season two you yet. Know. So, there, there are a lot of benefits, and that's why I think with this podcast, we don't want to come out here and sound like too complaining to the millennials, but we do want to tell you some of the issues that we see. Um, and some of the things that I think do challenge us, but uh, as always, we're going to face it head-on, we're going to be here for discussion. Um, we hope you guys really enjoy this a little bit. Give us some feedback. If there's something you want to talk about, or you think we're doing good yet, Stone or whatever.
0: All, we're all you know, Hate mail or praise yeah. mail. We're all for right. And with that, we would like to conclude this episode of the Ginger and Juice Podcast. We appreciate it all who tuned in. There will be a part two and also a possible part three, depending on if there is enough material to cover the episode. But we strongly encourage everyone to look us up on Twitter or Facebook at Ginger and Juice Podcast and Feel free to leave us some comments or some questions. Uh, I also would like to announce that we're also doing a separate podcast now called the Ginger and Juice Sports Minute. Uh, It's going to be about 20 minutes long, so feel free to check that out as well. Uh, Once again, thanks for joining us. And on behalf of Jared Garrett and Sean Whitaker, we'll see you next time.